Welcome back to another edition of Broomsticks and Butter Beer. I am Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. And we are getting dangerously close to finishing... So close. The Odyssey like, that is... I just want to finish. Harry Potter We're and the Goblet of Fire. almost there. How's it going? Pretty good. On spring break here as we record in 2022? Yeah, it's... A little better today. It's been kind of crappy weather-wise, but today's been okay. It's uh the the temperature's not bad, but there's like fifty mile an hour winds outside. Yes, so. we could do without that, and then you know we have major storm and storms and rain all day tomorrow. So tune in for our new weather podcast. It'll be dropping next week. If you just want to know the weather in St. Louis, Missouri, check it out. Wow, exciting. Yeah, I'm going to give that back to you. Okay. Uh, welcome back again, like I said, to Broomsticks and Butterbeer, our chapter-by-chapter chapter, uh, discussion of the Harry Potter novels. And last time we talked about chapter 34, Priori Incantatum. Priori Incantatum. Uh, before I recap that, I wanted to give a special shout-out to Jane... Uh, fellow Hufflepuff and loyal listener and great friend, uh, trivia uh, associate, fellow educator, uh, because as I did with Posh the week before, where I forgot to mention Posh up in Manhattan, I forgot to mention Jane last week, so I want to make sure I do it uh, now before I forget. Let's see, like, what do I got oh, here? You just turned everything yeah, off. Yeah, I turned everything off. Give me a second here. Oh, oh, hold on, here we go. Yeah, sorry about that, Jane. So. Oops. <laughs> there you go. You just got too many regulars that we have to to shout out every week. It's Jennifer. There's no way to get them all. It's Anastasia. You have to make a list. You can have a checklist. There's Jane. And you could check it twice. There's Catherine. There's Kelly and Posh and Olivia. Uh-huh. George. Chuck. Chuck. Chucky. <laughs> Chucky. How's it going, Chucky? Chucky and Shrewsbury. Yeah, there's no Chucky. We're making and that Shrewsbury. up. Sorry. If you are if your name is Chucky and Shrewsbury. Send me an email with proof that your name is Chucky and you live in Shrewsbury, and I will send you a T-shirt. As I did with our uh, emailer last week. Forgot uh-huh. her name, but had a great email. No emails this week, though, because we got kind of a long chapter to talk about. Yes. So, uh, chapter 34 last time, Wormtail releases Harry from the binds that held him to the gravestone, and we've got a fight club circle of Death Eaters for the Voldemort versus Harry duel. Harry and Voldemort's spells interlock with each other, and they start flying. Yeah, I don't know if that was necessary, but yeah, okay. Then the interlock spells construct some sort of magical igloo around them. <laughs> biodome! You <laughs> called it a biodome! Harry is able to somehow get the advantage over Voldemort, which causes stuff to start spilling out of Voldemort's wand. Like the ghost of Cedric Diggory, the ghost of Frank Bryce, the ghost of Bertha Jorkins, the ghost of Harry's parents... Basically, Harry's cheerleading squad and the random uh, hand of Wormtail. Okay. So, uh, everybody's cheering on Harry. Uh, the hand, even, like, made, like, a little mouth. And no. was like, go, Harry! 
didn't happen, Where's Danny? Matt? Where we got cut off? No, he didn't <laughs> cut the hand off with his wand. Wormtail cut the hand off himself. He created a new hand with the wand. And that hand drew a little face on itself and was cheering on Harry along with everybody else. Harry is able to escape <sighs> the duel, get to the Triwizard. Rubbish. Get to the Triwizard port key and get himself and Cedric's body back to Hogwarts. Yes. Uh, chapter 35. Veritaserum. Mm-hmm. Veritaserum. Veras... Veritaserum. Veritaserum. I want to have a conversation with Kelly about your pronunciations. But I'm just trying she's busy to, with Olivia. I'm just trying to use my phonics. Chapter 35. You really enjoyed this chapter, didn't you, Daniel? Mm-mm. mm-mm. I no? did not. I uh, had a hard time doing notes for this chapter. I got about 800 words of notes here. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's a lot of villain monologuing again. And and this There's time... There's been a lot going on behind the scenes, and now we have to be filled in. So before we get into this, I wanted to ask you, because I'm, I'm not much of a, a writer. Um, you are, though. I try. And um, does the truth serum thing bother you? at all as so as a as a story construct because it seems like a little bit like some people could see it as maybe like a bit of a lazy writing trope where if we need to have something like a truth serum just for storytelling purposes then then we can use it and get you know extract information from whoever we need it or does it just? Am I just looking too far into it? I think in some cases, but not this case. And I know this is a lot in this chapter, and it's just kind of tell us how you did it and all that. Whereas last chapter was, let me tell you how I did it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but she does a really good job of laying her groundwork putting all the breadcrumbs in. This isn't the first time we've talked about this truth serum. It won't be the last time we talk about it. It's a constant thing in these books. So if it just popped up like, oh my god, guess what? He's got a truth serum. Let's use it on this guy. And we hadn't heard about it before. Then maybe a little bit more like, eh, that was convenient. Like when Batman had the shark repellent? Yeah. <laughs> But that, I mean, Batman's always prepared for That's anything. True. He's got all kinds of repellents. So he's got everything he needs. Otter. All the time. Yeah. You don't want to repel otters. They're adorable. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they are or not. I always thought hippo, uh, hippos were adorable, but apparently they're man killers. Yeah, they're, those things are mean. <laughs> they're not like a cute little fuzzy otter. So anyway, you're, so you're, you're I'm okay with, with it. it. Yeah, okay. because like I said, it's... It's ingrained into the story. We we know about this. We know about making potions that do things. It just it fits here. All right, I just want to throw it out there, just to just for conversational purposes. Uh, Harry pops back up at the Quidditch pitch, battered and near death, along with the Triwizard Cup and Cedric's lifeless body. Um, and Harry's just kind of like immediately like overwhelmed by like the this all the extra stimuli around him right yeah 
just kind of like the the change of not only everything that he's been through, but just kind of the the change in venue. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just everything. He's still in pain. He's dealing with, did he really just see and talk to his parents? There's a lot going on in his head. There's a lot going on in his body with his injuries. And then you get kind of overloaded with the the noise and the crowd and everything that's going on around him. Plus that just traveling by Porky doesn't seem to be very Kind of discombobulating a Yeah, bit. it's a little jarring. A little jet laggy. Plus so, his head's still throbbing, you know, it's just there's a lot going on. Does it really say what the feeling is with the crowd during this time? Because I, I know the higher-ups, like Fudge and Dumbledore, are on the field heading toward Harry, and it says after a little bit that girls were screaming and sobbing hysterically, but it, unless I miss it, it doesn't really give us a sense of like what the crowd is Thinking. Thinking. You know, has the crowd been made aware that something was wrong when the boys disappeared? Were they told nothing? Like, hey, not all part of the show. Nothing to see here. Uh, you know, what to give Dumbledore time to try to figure things out. And I ask because when Cedric and Harry reappear, I'm not really sure how to gauge the crowd's reactions. Because in the movie, I very distinctly remembered music and pomp and circumstance and ballyhoo yeah and people clapping i remember the twins coming up to to harry you know clapping with big smiles on their faces yeah i as i was reading this time i was you know paying closer attention and i don't think that it does a very good job at explaining what's happening so you're saying jk rowling is a terrible writer <laughs> jess is saying this right now controversial i just take. said she did a very good job of of laying breadcrumbs and integrating everything however however <laughs> and i don't but it could be uh now you have to do another compliment to make the sandwich complete. it could be a stylized artistic choice to leave us not really knowing what's going on because harry doesn't really know what's going on you know what I'm saying? Kind of is a little blurry for us because it's really blurry for him. But as I was reading it and it wasn't clear, like you said, I could clearly picture what happens in the movies. And I was kind of waiting for that either confirmation or the opposite. You know, I was like, so how did the crowd react? In the movies, it kind of seems like they think everything's going according to plan. Mm -hmm. The winners have just appeared. Mm -hmm. Let's celebrate. And then they see that Harry is... And then there's is clearly something kind of, wrong. Is, is like raving and crying and out of sorts. And, and, and Cedric's not moving. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think they expect a little bit of say, blood and dirt. But this isn't an easy task. They, him to come back bloody or hurt a little bit, dirty... Roughed up probably isn't the first indicator that something's wrong. I don't think they see that as a problem. That kind of might expect that. But clearly he's upset and Cedric's not moving. Something. And I think it takes a very slow progression there. Like to go from. I don't know what I'm trying to say. They're just, they didn't expect him to walk out hands pumping raised up in the air. Yay I won. They kind of expected him to come out a little roughed up. So, I mean, just like a like a boxer who's been through 
you know, a fifth, a 12 round fight, you know, they're not going to, if it was a, if it was a difficult fight, like we expect this task to be, they're going to come out looking worse for wear too. So I t- think it took the crowd a while to decide, wait, something's not right here. I mean, he could, Cedric could have even been hurt in the maze and just came out, you know, unconscious or whatever. But I think it took him a while to figure out what was really going on. Well, Harry is saying that Voldemort is back. Cedric's dead. Dumbledore needs... Dumbledore knows he needs to debrief Harry on everything that's happened. But Dumbledore also knows he needs to intercept Cedric's dad. Yeah. Dumbledore's got to be in a couple of different places at the same time. Yeah, he's stretched a bit thin here. Got to intercept Cedric's dad to prepare Mr. Diggory a bit. As, you know, as much as you can prepare for the awful experience of seeing Cedric's body after he's died is, is going to be. However much you can be prepared for that. But Dumbledore knows he needs to kind of get to Mr. Diggory first and say, now Look, Amos, there's there's been an accident, you know, kind of. Something's clearly wrong. We're going to get to the bottom of this, but. Uh, and Dumbledore knows that this is an important thing for him to do. So he tells Harry to stay put. Which gives Mad-Eye Moody the opportunity to whisk Harry away to the castle. But instead of the infirmary, Moody takes Harry to Moody's office and locks the door. And even on the way to the office, Moody is trying to get as much information as possible from Harry, right? Mm-hmm. And Harry just kind of sees this as, oh... This big horrible thing has happened, and this guy is one of the biggest oars in the in the business. He's probably just trying to yeah, like a police officer yeah. would ask you, even though he's taking you to get medical treatment, they still would start asking you for details, information while it's still fresh in your head. Mm-hmm. But this is where my notes got very unfun to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'm like, do I just copy the 37 pages of villain monologue here? Do I try to com- condense it into some Cliff's notes? <laughs> uh, which isn't fun either. Could, Cliff could have helped you with that, though. I, you know, Cliff has maybe the the worst job in the world of trying to take a, a novel and... And condense it down. Yeah, I'd be horrible with that because just, I would. I a, would like make it longer because <laughs> I describe more and go into detail more and and see how this connects to this and how they how cool it was that they laid this and like this we and this. do with this podcast. Yeah, it takes us takes us ten minutes to read the chapter and then we talk about it for an hour. <laughs> yes, this is this is how I do cliff notes. Cliff's, Cliff's notes. Cliff's notes. Cliff's I always notes. I called it Cliff. No, no but see, home. I'm extending it, so it's Cliff. <laughs> what? You took the you took, took Cliffs down to Cliff. Yeah, you, and and you, but I saved that extra time for the talking and about you, the story. And you used the, that time that you saved by re-explaining it yes. to me. So here we go. We learned that Karkaroff and Snape were not the Death Eaters that Voldemort had planted as his inside man at Hogwarts. It was, air quotes, Mad-Eye Moody. Yes. And Moody, air quotes, <laughs> tells us that Karkaroff ran off when the Dark Mark started re- reappearing on the arms of Voldemort's followers. 
So I'm guessing that Karkaroff was one of the people that Voldemort was talking about in the last chapter when he was talking about, like, one of my followers has abandoned me and one of my... And they will be, of course, dealt with swiftly and painfully. And So I'm guessing Karkaroff saw the, the mark coming back and said, Nope, I'm out of here. Nope. But Karkaroff was not the one who was doing all the inside work at Hogwarts behind the scenes with Voldemort. And Moody, air quotes, really wants to know how Voldemort treated his minions when they returned to him. Because Moody, air quotes, wants to make sure that these minions were punished for their unfaithfulness over the years. Yeah, he... He's very uh, concerned about how that all went down. Yeah, and I was had trouble with this part, too, because it's done very differently in the movie. Like, I think the book kind of just lays it out there for you. It is like, this clearly isn't what it appears to be. I'm not even going to try and keep tricking you guys. This is it. Like, this is the end of the charade. Charade. But in the movie, I think they hold on to it a little longer. And um, I even think... In the movie, isn't it like he asks about the the graveyard and he says, I didn't tell you that it was in a graveyard. Mm. And they have like this moment, this aha moment. Mm-hmm. And, and like the first words out of Harry's mouth when Mooney, air quotes, was taking him away was like, I went to a graveyard. And I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You, you're not supposed to tell him that because that's a, that's a, the aha, aha moment later. And then I was like, oh, this goes a lot differently. I forgot which, how... Which way do you prefer? Did you prefer... I mean, because I think there's there's merits to both of them. The Like I said, it wasn't fun to do the, the notes for this, but it was kind of, it was fun to read. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the big reveal that Moody is, is not who he, who he was. But then there's also something kind of... Oh, that's a cute little thing that they did about, I didn't tell you it was a graveyard. I didn't tell you four tires were stolen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I kind of felt like it was a little too laid out for me. Like, I would have mm. liked to have... I know I'm not reading this for the first time, but I think I would have liked a little bit more like... <gasps> Mm-hmm. And you haven't said it yet. Mm-hmm. But this, that wasn't this. Mm-hmm. This was very obvious, very, here, let me draw you a picture of what, like, just lay it all out there for you. I'm going to flip. You really don't like her writing. All my God. cards onto the table and tell you exactly. God, you are just so anti. <laughs> is it, is it because of her personal stances on, on certain topics the last couple of years? Have you kind of become disenfranchised with her? And now, so now you're hating on the, the, the her prose. As well as the person. <laughs> Just, you asked me a question. You asked for my opinion, and I gave it. Um, you a- you specifically said, which one do I prefer? Stop, stop, stop. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I had to steal the, the soundboard from you for a second. Oh, uh, where are we at here? So, Moody, air quotes... Like I said, wanted to make sure that the minions were punished for their unfaithfulness. Is that like Moody in air quotes trying to like assert himself as like the 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 highest of the high 
uh, loyal followers. I think he just wants to make sure that he's rewarded for all of the trouble and um, unpleasantries he went through. Because a lot of a lot of the followers kind of just got off, got off easy, pretty easy. They didn't have to go and have their souls sucked out in, in Azkaban. Yeah, they just went home to their <laughs> families and and tried to live an up and up like life. Lu- Lucius Malfoy, like. Not, He's like not not much change. Influential. <laughs> not much change with his life. Do whatever he wants. Yeah, so I could see where Moody air quotes would be a little like they need a little upset about that. He wanted the balance. Like I suffered, and you didn't. So you need to suffer now. You should be punished. So here's what I got. Moody, air quotes, is none other than Barty Crouch Jr. <gasps> what? The son of Mr. Crouch. Well, what? <laughs> he of the Ministry of Magic. And the one whom Mr. Crouch put away along with the Lestranges in Azkaban years ago for following Voldemort, as seen in the Pen You did see all See how it's all coming together, Daniel? Mm-hmm. It's all coming together. Love it when a plan comes together. Barty Jr. was broken out of Azkaban by Mr. and Mrs. Crouch as kind of a dying wish to Mrs. Crouch. Is that correct? Yeah. You don't like this? This No, I mean, I knew this is what happened, <laughs> but it just... More poor writing by <laughs> Miss Rowling. Somehow, it just, this time reading it, it just kind of fell a little short. It was like, he was so anti, and I get it, it's his wife, he loves his wife, but... You're doing a bad thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it, it did seem a little... And you were, like, dropping her off to die. Like, mm-hmm. and she died alone in yeah. a na- nasty place. Like, it just feels weird that out of love for his wife, he dumps her there. So Mrs. Crouch is dying. There's a clever use of polyjuice potion which allowed Barty Jr. and Mrs. Crouch to trade places. And if he's going to drink it every hour, how did she keep it going if she was dying? Like, I would feel like it would wear off and she'd turn back into herself, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody would know. The plan would be foiled. Uh, So Mrs. Crouch ends up, like you said, dying in Azkaban alone. Alone, but she drank that apologies potion every hour. While Barty Jr. lives out the rest of his time under the watchful eye of Mr. Crouch. And can you ex- explain kind of how Mr. Crouch kept all this under wraps and kept Barty under control during this time? Ugh. The Imperious Curse. Okay, Apparently so that, for like years? Yeah, so he, had, he was like controlling him for yeah, years. Yeah, put him under a spell that controlled his brain like Harry had when he had to bow it made his brain all light and fuzzy and fluffy, and then he didn't have control over his body. It's almost like he, like, it's the equivalent of keep, keep, keeping him, like, doped up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, like, in a vegetative state and under an invisibility cloak 24 hours a day. So weird. Yeah. So weird. But, yeah, and then also but with the added bonus of you can tell them what to do when they have to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a combo. They're not just doped up and drooling. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still, they still look like they could be normal and they're taking orders. So 
when you're under the this controlling curse, is it kind of like when they say like when somebody's like in a coma, but they can still like there's been studies done that people are still able to like process sounds and you know just they're just not able to their physical body isn't able to like speak and respond to them is is it feel like barty jr is like trapped inside and he's just getting like angrier over the years of of being controlled and well he said when when it would kind of start to wear off so i guess if you're talking like comparing it to the drugging like in between doses when your dose is about to wear off before you get the next dose uh-huh. like my leave wore off a little bit before we started recording here <laughs> and um so then he would kind of start to come back to himself, realize what was going on, and he would get angry, but then he'd get his next dose, and he'd kind of be mm-hmm. floaty and chill again. I thought for a second when you were trying to make your comparison, you were going to say, like, hypnotized? Mm. I kind of feel like at least, you know, the way the party hypnotists do it is kind of like a good example, because they get you to do things, and you're fully aware of what's going on around you, like you said. But they don't know why they're doing what they're doing because of whatever trigger word or whatnot. So explain how Bertha Jorkins got into this mess. And what oh, like what's her role in goodness. all this? Apparently she went to Crouch Senior's house. Ooh, Crouch Senior. I yeah, like Crouch Senior. Oh, said, oh, good day to you, Crouch Senior. <laughs> you said junior <laughs> earlier, so I was like, Oh yeah, you junior. That's the way to keep them separated. Um a most lovely of day. Greetings to you, good sir. <laughs> Bertha Jorkins goes to Crouch Senior's. Uh, he's home. not there, mm-hmm. but Junior is. And Winky, Winky's been a bad little elf. Man. I, can, I, can I tell you that you I. You felt I, sorry for her, didn't you? Uh, not this chapter. I don't like the character. At Like, at all. <laughs> this chapter, it just was like. You let's not go get Winky <laughs> because I, I'm just I'm just kind of over it. Um, I don't know. I just I kind of hate the character in this chapter, but I'll talk about that. I got that in my notes a little later on. Okay, we'll get to that. So yeah, Winky kind of screws up here and talks to him in the other room, and then talks birth- to Barty Junior. Junior, yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, talks to Junior in the other room. And Gotta be careful with our pronouns here, <laughs> especially when we got people with the same name. And Bertha finds out, like, oh, what? what? What are you doing here? What happened? Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, so then Dad come, Senior comes home and blasts her brains. Like, overly. Overly, so that, that we won't get in trouble. And... Then she, I don't know, did it say he, like, ships her away? She goes away mm-hmm. she, on, a, on a trip and, like, gets lost. And that's how she ends up with Voldemort and everything. And I was just kind of like, well, that wasn't that convenient. But, okay. Okay. So they tried to do, like, the Men in Black flashy thing, but they flashy thing them a little too much. Too much. But then Voldemort got past it all. And got all the information out of yeah, her brain. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird, too, that Voldemort was able to... The brain had been turned to mush, but Voldemort was still able to extract all this information. In his weakened state. Yeah, from Bertha. And the 
what kind of information was like? It was about like the, the tri- Triwizard, Tri-Wizard tournament, tournament and found out about Junior mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. Okay. But yeah, and then he then he masterminded the whole thing how to take all these pieces that he found in her brain to put them together to have this plan of how to get Harry into the school or into the tournament and use that to get him. Still seems like a lot of extra work. Like, couldn't he, Moody, have just made Harry's book a porky and zapped him away when he tried to open his textbook? It's like uh, the How It Should Have Ended cartoon. (laughs) 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 And they they talk about, like, how a movie should have ended, and it's like Day one, (laughs) first day of class. All right, if you turn to page 26 in your your textbooks, whoop, where's Harry? Yep. Oh, he's gone. Credits. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barty has been Barty Junior. Sorry, has been taking the place of Mad Eye Moody this whole time, disguising himself using regular nips of polyjuice potion from Moody's trusty flask. Yep. And the real Moody is in a magical treasure chest. Yeah, of course. So <sighs> he needs his hair, so he's got to keep him close by. So if this is like the briefcase in Fantastic Beast that yes. has like the the whole World menagerie, uh, the Brooklyn Zoo inside of it? Yes. Okay. Only this one has like, I guess, seven different compartments. Yeah. And one is a giant pit. Which Pit of despair. <laughs> when it said like, you know, ten feet down or something and then Dumbledore just yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drop down in this pit, and I'm going to climb back yeah, out. I'll just get back up. <laughs> and his giant robes, too. You know, it's not really easy. I know men don't wear dresses, but long skirts make it really hard to do anything. Mm. So I just imagine having these long, flowy robes on and trying to climb in and out of a 10-foot pit. I'm sure he did some kind of levitating spell or something like that. Yeah. So they've been torturing Moody, the real Moody for information to, like, help Barty, like, get into character. Like, they've been, is that, is that the way I, you understood it? Like, they've been, like, asking the real Moody or, like, using the, probably some, maybe some truth serum or things like that. I don't know or, if they specifically said or, like, yeah, the, just... the controlling curse to... To get information out of Moody so that Barty Jr. could do a better job of impersonating Moody so people wouldn't know yeah. beyond, to the, beyond to him? Yeah, yeah, that was mentioned. They, like, they didn't go into great detail on how that happened, they just said that it did. And they need to keep Moody alive, too, because they need to be able to use his hair to continue to make more polyjuice potion. Because, like you said, Barty Jr. needs a regular dose of that yes. hence the hip flask that's all always uh taking little sips out of so i was a little sad that junior could take on movie like that well i guess it said nobody... that Warmtail helped but mm-hmm. still kind of he must have done a heck of a job because even I dumbledore think... didn't know yeah, but just to like capture me, I just feel like he's like, capture his essence. No, no, capturing <laughs> him in the beginning when they they went to his Physically house and capturing, capturing him. him. Yeah, like he's supposed to be this kind of yeah, amazing. Maybe, you know, maybe he's lost a few steps. 
you know, literally because of the peg leg. <laughs> so, a couple questions. When Barty Jr., when we see in the Pensieve that Barty Jr. was like wailing and begging his dad, don't send me to Azkaban, and, you know, I was that just all acting? Acting! Um, I don't know. Was it like some sort of like actual fear that like a, you know, a young man, no matter how bad and tough they think they are, knowing that their life was essentially over, going to spend the rest of it in, in Azkaban. Yeah. Like, he's what's like your literally facing death? Yeah. What's your twenty twenty hindsight on that scene now that we know what we know? Because Barty Junior considers himself a super super the loyalist of loyal followers of Voldemort so there's not like a it's not like a thing with with maybe uh Wormtail where he just kind of attaches himself to whoever he thinks is gonna win you know uh like I I don't think Wormtail is I think Wormtail is just kind of an nincompoop you know I just think he's kind I think he's just kind of a, a, a follower I think he's just if it looked like that the the good side was going to have the advantage, he would be there begging for forgiveness. If it looked like the bad side was going to have the advantage, he's scared because he don't want to get tortured or killed by Voldemort, so he would latch yeah. on to them. You're but, saying advantage, and I'm kind of thinking, well, who, who is he afraid of the most? Yeah. But Barty Jr. like really sees himself as like the the, 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 deathiest, the deathiest of death eaters. <laughs> but... When we look back in the Pensieve, Barty Jr. was like, You don't understand? Please, Dad, don't send Mom! Do something! I... Was that just him? I don't know. Was that just him acting? Was that just him uh, trying to... To manipulate yeah. his parents? I think probably closer to the manipulation side. Okay. Uh, you know, he probably... I mean for years had been lying to his parents and kind of pulling the wool over their eyes might have even been a little like khaki about it like mm. huh? they believe in God, this other guy you know I've got this whole other life they believe whatever I tell them this is going to be no problem I can pull this off and but there also might have been a little bit of panic in there like oh this didn't go the way I thought it was going to go I can't what can I do if I'm locked in Azkaban for the rest of my life what card do I have left to play yeah and I know he thinks he's the deathiest of the Death Eaters, but he also is <laughs> I no make that good. A t-shirt, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> he's no good to Voldemort if he's locked in Azkaban for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Like he said, I would have come looking for him if I could have, but I was locked away. Y'all could have been looking for him, but you weren't. But you weren't. So I think that he would play whatever card he would need to play. In order to hang on to his freedom. Which is what everyone else did. But they're... You know, now he's looking down on them. Mm. I got you. But he would have spent his freedom a little differently than everybody else spent their freedom. Yep. So Barty Jr. has been pulling the strings all along. Responsible for basically everything that has happened to Harry. Harry's name being put in the Goblet of Fire... Firing the dark mark into the sky at the Quidditch Cup. He stole Harry's wand right out of his pocket. Right out of his pocket. I was, I was at the Quidditch World Cup and yeah, there and was you know this what? boy you, you know with what? a Harry, pocket no, Harry, wand. 
we don't leave our wallets like half hanging out of our pockets. <laughs> We're just somebody can just come and snatch them. Harry, maybe get one of those inside pockets, in, yeah. like on the jackets. I love those. those that's are where snazzy. I always, that's where I always put my wallet and my coat. Classy. Um, Barty Jr. is one that told Cedric about taking a bath with the egg, knowing that Cedric would tell Harry. Barty Jr. is the one that got Hagrid to tell Harry about the dragons, made sure Dobby knew about the Puppet Gillywig. Puppet strings, man. Puppet strings. Knowing Dobby would help Harry. You didn't even see Harry, all those strings. Uh, made sure Harry knew how he could beat the dragons. And even made sure that Harry didn't have a date to the Yule Ball, which is just mean. <laughs> Wait, he didn't do that? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I was like, what? I missed something? No, this isn't Even true. made sure that Harry couldn't go with Cho to the Yule Ball. What a jerk. And that was just being petty. Petty. That didn't even accomplish anything. He just did that to be mean. Uh, also, we find out that Barty Jr. was the one that was controlling Victor to attack Cedric in the third task. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a little uh, interesting thing there it makes me feel a little bit better about victor that he's not just a horrible horrible person all these times when moody seemed pretty cool and pretty protective of harry it was really just barty jr making sure harry didn't get messed up before voldemort could get his hands on him right yes and there you know, there was the moment with Neville and the Cruciatus curse at the very beginning, the very first class. And then he had like this nice moment where he gave him a book. He even says that that book was just to help you later. Like, it was just I'm like, oh. Yeah, oh. It was all. It was all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, it was all, all for manipulation. Barty Jr. and thus Voldemort's benefit. So when it looks like Barty Jr. is going to finish off Harry. Dumbledore, Snape, and McGonagall burst in for the save. And this is where we get the truth serum used on Barty Jr. to reveal 13 straight pages of everything we've gone and over. And the best line in the whole book. Which is? The one I read to you. Which is? <laughs> Dumbledore tells Snape to go get his strongest oh. truth serum and tells Preston McGonagall to go to the pumpkin patch outside Hagrid's hut the dog. where you will find a large black dog, bring him to my office, and tell him I'll be with him in a moment. You have the grim. <laughs> and she's just like, of course. Of course I will go get the dog at the pumpkin patch. And, take and him talk to, your to him like a human him, being. take him to your office and tell him you will be with him post-haste. <laughs> I mean, given that she can turn into a cat, I'm sure she is drawing her own conclusions there. So, uh, the winky stuff was, was a bit much for me. Um, is it okay to say that I just, I don't really like Winky is a character. Well, she doesn't even exist in the movies, so... Apparently somebody else didn't like her <laughs> as a character either. Found her highly unnecessary. I found her... I mean, it's just a lot of... Just whining in this chapter. And I know somebody's going to email me and say, How dare you, Winky's my favorite character! And that's fine. To each his own. Love is love. <laughs> you know, whatever. But it's just not for me character's not for me. Yeah, I mean, you just have to take in, or just remember that they are kind of, like, 
brainwashed to the point of, you know, complete obedience, complete loyalty. She she will do what's best for her family, no matter what kind of deal. Like they just part of the gig. If you're a house elf, you can't snitch on anybody. You have to do what you're told. You have to take care of their house, the whole household, kind of deal. And we, this isn't the first time we see it. You know, even Dobby had to fight what he was supposed to do. For the Malfoys. And he punished himself for it. Because he knew. Or, well, he, he knew it was wrong. But it wasn't wrong. That's complicated. But that's just the. It's in their nature. It's one of the things Hermione struggles to understand. Well a couple things before we wrap up here. Uh, one thing that I didn't have in my notes. But it just kind of popped into my head. The scene earlier in the book where moody air quotes which is actually barty jr kind of comes face to face with karkaroff for the first time Mm -hmm. at the school and we hear about that that there's a past between them was the was the meeting so tense there because barty kind of looks looks down on Karkaroff because he snitched his way out of Azkaban and looks down on Karkaroff because he's not the deathiest of the Death Eaters and he's not you know, as loyal to Voldemort as Barty Jr. feels that he is. Um, I just think looking back on that as kind of a, a cool scene. Yeah, but they don't really seem to know what each other, because he doesn't know that that's party jr he thinks it's mad eye but mad eye you know just hates death eaters and was hunting them but i was talking more about the the reaction from moody Mm -hmm. in air quotes aka barty jr was was not because oh this is moody and he just hates death eaters and oh you got off light you know i hate death eaters and you got off light and that i don't like that it's because oh you're supposed to be loyal to the Dark Lord, and you turned in a bunch of our buddies because you didn't want to, you know, serve your time in, in Azkaban. Oh, okay, I see how it is. Now look at you. You're running a school? Okay, you're not out looking for the Dark Lord? I think I, I just think that was kind of cool to look back at these interactions that, air quotes, Moody has had with people. Air quotes, Moody should be a shirt, too. <laughs> but... The interactions that that Barty Jr. has had with people, knowing now that that's who it was. Uh, Barty Jr. I knew the whole time. Admits that his dad, the senior, senior, was being who was being controlled that whole time when he had gone missing from the Hogwarts events and was communicating with the Ministry with with written letters. You know what that means. The Weatherby wasn't real. Pardon me? <laughs> when he called Percy Weatherby. It was because his brain was all cloudy from... Mm. I thought he always called him Weatherby, though. Even before he was being controlled. He called him Weatherby back at the Quidditch Cup. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, he wouldn't have been controlled there yet. 
Yeah, we I, got close. I think he called him Weatherby from day one. Okay. Yay, Weatherby. But Barty Sr. is dead, and that Barty Jr. did the deed that day when Mr. Crouch showed up to Hogwarts to interrupt Victor and Harry's weird side conversation <laughs> outside. Uh, so it was actually Barty Jr. who stunned Victor that day and uh, ended up... Moody in air quotes. Uh, Moody in air quotes. Ended up stunning Victor that day and taking Mr. Crouch off to... Dispose the of land, him? Dispose of him to the land of wind and ghosts. Uh, we also learned a bit about the Marauder's map. What map? Harry's map. And apparently, first of all, the map can't differentiate between junior and senior. Yeah, the, you you only have so much space on there. So many characters, it's like yeah, Twitter. Yeah, you only get so many characters. If you have a really long name. And, but I think more surprisingly, something that you just said, the fact that Dumbledore is somehow unaware of this map's existence. Dumbledore knows everything. How does he not know that this map exists? But maybe he thinks it's still in Fudge's office? Because that's where the twins got it. Or maybe he didn't think that the twins ever gave it up. Mm. I mean, is that a movie you expect out of the twins? I don't know. It just seems a little um, off character for Dumbledore to not know that something like that would exist. He probably knows it exists. He just didn't think it had changed hands so many times recently. Well, that is chapter 35, Veritaserum, which is Truth Serum. Truth Serum. Um... We still did not find out Priori Incantatum. That'll be next it's chapter. It's coming, yeah. <laughs> you told me it was going to be this chapter. You lied to me. Well, there was a lot <laughs> in this chapter. Well, there's only two chapters left in this book. Yay! You're almost there. So, that was chapter 35. Next time, we'll be back in chapter 36. And then chapter 30, uh, 36, the penultimate chapter. And then the chapter 37, the final chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire before we move on to book five. So anything else to add about chapter 35? No questions this week. You can always send those broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. But anything else about chapter 35? No, I think we covered it. It was a lot. Well, thanks everybody for downloading, listening, and subscribing. You can follow us on Twitter at broomsticksb. That's broomsticks followed by the letter B. No spaces, no underscores. Email us broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. I keep seeing the Facebook numbers keep going up every time i log in it's like oh 12 new people like broomsticks and butterbeer on facebook so uh we appreciate that thank you so much uh don't be a stranger send us uh, your thoughts send us your questions and we'll give you a shout out on the air and uh shout out let's say jennifer in california uh jane and Catherine in illinois kelly olivia and posh in new york anastasia in connecticut um, I forgot the fake name you said earlier, but Chuck, Chucky. Chucky T and Shrewsbury. <laughs> there was somebody before that. Hank? Was it Hank that you said? Sure. I don't remember. Hank and Phoenix. That's, no, he's in... Um, Hank the Tank. Scranton. Hank and Scranton. Hank and Scranton. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this journey. Uh, we did, we're, we're keeping up with our New Year's, 2022 New Year's resolution. This is a bonus one. Yeah, this is, uh, this is this a Catherine requested bonus one. We did our two episodes for the month, which was our New Year's resolution. We we're going to try to do two a month. And Catherine's like, uh, when's the next one coming out? I'm like, oh, 
We're on spring break. I guess we could do it. Yeah. It's three in a month, though, so... And, and we also have to go to Chicago on our spring break to see Catherine. Yep. She's kind of needy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she yeah. is. But you know what? That's what that's what we're here for. We're here to we're here to entertain. We're here for the fans. We're here to uh, be a part of your lives, and we thank you for uh, for bringing us into your uh, your lives, even just a little bit through this podcast. So, to everybody who downloaded and listened and spread the word, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you. We will be back next time with chapter thirty six. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Until next time, I'm Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. And we'll see you then. Bye.